The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. This evening, I'd like to talk with you about something that's not so technically Buddhist. I want to talk about uh, Gills and my training monastery because it almost wasn't here today. And that is Tassajara Zen Shinji, Zen Mountain Center. And uh, as you know, on June 23rd, there were dry lightning strikes and fires in the Ventana wilderness. And we heard that there would be a fire at Tassajara within three days. How many people have seen the, uh, the website or the blog? Okay, so several, but not all. So the fire didn't come and didn't come. And uh, then uh, last weekend, uh, not this past weekend, but the weekend before, it started to come very quickly when it got hot and when the winds came up. And on, uh, we had been evacuated in June. There were 60 students at Tassajara and 75 guests. They were all evacuated except for about 15 people uh, because it would be dangerous for them to stay. Then... Last Wednesday, suddenly, the uh, order came to evacuate everybody, and everybody loaded themselves into cars and left Tassajara. And at the very end of the road, five people turned back and went back in. And those five people were Abbot Steve Stuckey, um, Steve and uh, Steve Stuckey and Paul Haller are Dharma brothers of Gills and mine, and they're the co-abbots of San Francisco Zen Center. So Abbot Steve Stuckey, um, and then uh, four other priests, Mako Volkel, Graham Ross, Colin Gibson, and David Zimmerman. And these are not superheroes. Uh, at least uh, two of them have back problems, <laughs> you know. And they're just people like you and me. They don't have any super fire skills or anything like that. They just found it necessary to go back. And I want to read you David's account of what happened when the fire came on Thursday. This was Thursday the 10th. So what's today, the 16th, 14th? So that was four days ago. So um, then I may talk about a, a, a Zen koan or something, I'll try to keep my comments short so that we can have questions and comments. This is called Now That the Fire Has Passed. And you can read it by going to San Francisco Zen Center's website and looking under Tassajara. And it'll say something like, for an account by David Zimmerman, please click here. Okay. Saturday, July 12th, 1 o'clock p.m. It's been exactly 48 hours since the five of us who returned to Tassajara Zen Mountain Center to defend the monastery first met the primary waves of fire that arrived on July 10th at 1. It still amazes us to recall the speed in which the fire descended and converged on Tassajara simultaneously from four sides, 
from Flag Rock to the northeast with 30 to 40 foot flames, from Hawk Mountain to the northwest, rushing down right above the hill cabins with 10 to 15 foot flames, over the Hogback and Suzuki Roshi Memorial Trail to the west, and from the south via the Overlook Ridge, its progress cloaked by the canopy of trees above us. It was difficult to determine which head of fire would reach us first, so we split up to protect the hill cabin, satellite dish, the creek side of the stone office, our designated safety place, and the shop where our propane and gas are stored. We fought the fire nonstop for six and a half hours using hoses connected to the standpipe system and Mark III pumps, along with hand shovels and a few fire extinguishers. We were stretched very thin trying to engage each new encroachment of the fire into Tassajara, at times with only one person per location struggling to arrest the fire's progress, unassisted for up to an hour at a time. At 7.30, we finally felt that the fire was contained enough for us to stop to eat and regroup. We've spent a majority of the hours since then taking turns being on patrol, continuing to put out spot fires with hoses and shovels, surveying damage, making calls to loved ones, and trying to get some rest. The fire is still a presence, lurking in places seen and unseen. Throughout these last two days, piles of leaves, trees, roots, and ruins still burn, keeping night patrol busy. Even yesterday, 24 hours after the fire, we were thrown off guard when, just as we were finishing lunch, the woodshed across from the shop burst into flames. Within minutes was raging so hot, the trees above it and the hill across the road from it caught fire. Just minutes ago, large, ominous plumes rose to the south and southeast of us, behind the overlooked trail ridge. We quickly deployed to turn on the building sprinklers, also known as Dharma Rain. Okay, so anyway, he saves a chronological account of the battle with the fire. How does Tassajara look now? The central area of Tassajara is an island of green, gratefully untouched by the fire and looking almost ready for the return of residents and summer guests. But when surveying the firescape around Tassajara, this is what one sees. Lesions of blackened earth, burnt leaves, and ash reach into Tassajara from the charred mountains around us in every direction. The mountains look bare and vulnerable, pricked with the skeletal remains of trees and a few hardy bushes and yucca. The trees that appear less affected, unusually large oaks at lower elevations, suffer scorched leaves and bark. One can clearly see how truly steep and rugged the mountains are that enclose this valley, now that their covering of foliage is gone. I'm pained to think of the tremendous erosion, landslides, rockfall and flooding that will occur with the winter rains. Okay, I'll I'll, um, skip the parts that are about places that you don't know about. As one heads to the rest end of Tassajara, burnt ground arises from the right side of the road up to the peak of the mountain and beyond. Anyway, um, let's see. Anyway, he he, uh, talks about all the areas and basically um, pieces of Tassajara got burned up and other pieces are still there. 
We're not alone on this green island. We've seen canyon wrens, hummingbirds, and robins, and have heard an owl on the east end. The stellar jays are quiet but present. Squirrels still scamper about on the green grass in front of the office. Colin estimated he had seen 30 squirrels in the ruins of the compost shed, feasting on the now-exposed treasure. Deer nibbling on the still lush greenery of the valley are seen throughout by the patrols. The scent of charred wood and leaves seems to have seeped into our every pore. While there's still a haze lingering, it's thankfully not very dense. It's hard to tell if the gray before our eyes when looking at the mountains is a veil of smoke or the actual color of the landscape. Numerous rock slides are heard and seen throughout the day and night. The creek flows mostly clear and unobstructive. What saved Tassajara? The I Ching, symbols for water over fire on the hexagonal water tank, proclaim the reason for our survival. The very setting of Tassajara in a riparian corridor did much to spare us. Okay, anyway, the, the, the things that people did to prepare are saved. Finally, um, the five of us in Tassajara at the time of the fire can say without hesitation that despite these preparations, without people here to turn on the sprinkler systems and refill the pumps and to directly engage the fire with water as it entered Tassajara, little would have remained. So um, then he ends. Gratitude courses throughout this valley and our veins. For we and our community are well and safe, supported in a thousand ways, known and unknown, by the generosity and efforts of so many beings, so many bodhisattvas, so many Buddhas. And finally, deep bows to the fire, whose undeniable Dharma teaching of impermanence has earned our odd respect and attention. Okay. So... That's the news from Tassahara. And um, here's the news from about um, 1,500 years before this fire. This is a case from... It's, this case is found in several different places. It's in the Shinji Shogobo Genzo, in the Book of Serenity, and in the Blue Cliff Records. And I'm reading the um, statement from the Blue Cliff Records. So... It's different language than you're used to. This is poetic language. The koans of uh, Zen Buddhism are used to evoke states of insight rather than point the exact insights that are part of insight, if that makes sense to you. They're literature. Uh, They're actual dialogues that occurred between teachers and students as they wrestled with the Dharma. And so this one is called Das Ways. It goes along with it. It goes along with it. Okay. I'll read the case first and then I'll read the pointer. Okay. The pointer is a little um, cheat sheet that's given before the case so that you can get into it. Support. Okay. The case. This case is actually, there's, uh, this case is in two pieces. So 
The Blue Cliff Record version only has the first half of the case. A monk asked Daswe, The conflagration at the end of the eon sweeps through and the universe is totally destroyed. I wonder, is this one destroyed or not? Sway said, it is destroyed. The monk said, if so, then this goes along with it. Sway says, it goes along with it. Thoroughly puzzled? (laughs) I'll read the other version of the case, just so that you have read it twice. It's kind of like Shakespeare. You know, when you recite sonnets at first, uh, you have to get used to the language, and then they suddenly they pop out, and their beauty is revealed when you actually understand the order of the words and have heard the story a couple times, the poem a couple times. Here's the uh, another version of it. A monk asked Daswe, when the fire at the end of an eon rages through and the whole universe is destroyed. Is this destroyed or not? Daswe said, destroyed. The monk said, then it goes along with that? Then this goes along with that? Daswe said, this goes along with that. Later, a monk asked Longji, When the fire ending the eon rages through and the whole universe is destroyed, is this destroyed or not? Longji said, not destroyed. The monk said, why is it not destroyed? Longji said, because this is the same as the universe. Okay? So in typical Zen fashion, we got both answers. And actually, in some other versions of the case, Longji uh, responds, because this is not the same as the universe. <laughs> so, um, oh, I think I just lost my place. Oh, no, there it is. But basically, the, the uh, theory is that the universe comes and goes in cycles. I've been thinking about these cycles a lot because we had a forest fire at Tassahara in 1977. Then we had another one in 1999 during my Dharma transmission and I was evacuated. I got the bums rush out of Tassahara kicking and screaming while trying to stay and fight the fire. And and because now the Forest Service has a policy of letting the fires burn. Okay? Because it's a natural part of the renewal cycle of the forest, which is all very great in the big picture. But in the little picture, it sure is hard. Uh, so I got interested in this, in this case and in the background of the case, which says that the universe is like that too. That um, the universe comes and it goes. It, it arises, it lasts for a while, and then it's destroyed in a cataclysmic fire that gets everything. And so this means thusness or suchness, how things is. How things, not just how things are, but how things is. Okay? So this 
is suchness. It's what we have insights into when we have insights. So the monk is saying, when the fire comes along and gets everything, is this destroyed or not? Okay, and as we heard, Dasue said, destroyed. Longji said, not destroyed. Uh, not des- uh, it's destroyed, and so this goes along with the universe. Okay, that's one answer. It's not destroyed because this is this this is the same as the universe. Or it's not destroyed because this is not the same as the universe. Okay, so all the possibilities are there. Sometimes we think that the truth has to be one thing or the other. Okay, so when uh, when we sit. You know, we study eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind, color, shape, sound, smell, you know, color and shape, sound, smell, taste, touch, mind, objects, Um, field of eyes through the field of mind consciousness, ignorance, all the way up to extinction, ignorance, extinction of ignorance, the stopping of ignorance and the path, you know, ignorance, the origin of ignorance, the stopping of ignorance in the path. Okay? Cognition, attainment, and this is what we study. And um, after, uh, historically after that theory, which is called Abhidhamma in this tradition, or Abhidharma in North India, uh, after that tradition was created that blasted our habitual idea of self and other, this and that, good and bad, right and wrong, you know, you name it. Uh, after the skandhas were uh, set forth, after the dharmas were set forth, there came along another whole theory of practice that taught no eyes, no ears, no nose, no tongue, no body, no mind, etc. So um, what does that mean? It means that as soon as we have an insight about any dharma, that it isn't, that we should know that that dharma is different from the insight that we've already had. It means that anything that we see or understand is not necessarily so. That as soon as we are aware of it, it's already over. You know? And yet, without eyes and ears and nose and tongue and body and mind, just the way we, without our thoughts of those things, we wouldn't be able to have insights or cognitions or conversations. There wouldn't be any teaching. So this question of when everything goes kablooey, does this go with it or not, is just the question of, well, which one's true? The is part or is the is not part? Which one's true? Which one can I depend on? Which one can I believe on? In. Sorry. And uh, my answer today is that is and is not, destroyed and not destroyed, are both necessary. That they don't exist without the other. And that freedom lies in um, 
being able to skillfully uphold whichever one is needed today. So I have an example of this, an example of um, something like this. And it was when um, Blanche, uh, Zen K. Blanche Hartman was abbess of San Francisco Zen Center. And someone showed up at the door who was in distress and screaming. And I was the director of San Francisco Zen Center. I answered the door and I said, please stop screaming at the front door. And he said, okay. But then about five minutes later, he started screaming. And we just went back and forth like that. And then finally I said, it seems like you can't stop screaming. And if you can't um, speak in a normal tone of voice, if you're unable to do that, then I'm very concerned about you and I'm going to call the mobile crisis unit if you're unable to take care of yourself and the situation around you. So he did not stop screaming. I did call the mobile crisis unit and then I decided that he would be able to come back only if we were confident that he had been, that he was taking care of what was going on with him and if we had a plan. So Blanche and I completely disagreed about this because at the same time he was a completely sincere practitioner, you know, at the same time that he could not control the screaming. He was a completely sincere practitioner. And so we fought and we did various things and I'm not going to tell you how it turned out except that it had a happy ending. But... What I realized later was that it took both Blanche and me to have that conversation. And that in Blanche's point of view, uh, Blanche's point of view contained mine and mine contained her, hers. It's not possible to express freedom without both asserting something and also letting go of it. So you're renovating this wonderful practice place now and congratulations because your practice and your effort have brought you to this place. But if on August 1st a fire raged through and destroyed this building, this practice place would not be destroyed. There's nothing that any fire can do to destroy this practice. At the same time, it would be destroyed. You would have to go different places. But really, fundamentally, nothing can destroy what we're doing. It's too complete to be destroyed. So anyway, that's my message for this evening. And I want to keep it short so that you can comment or question um, and uh, our, to me also, just to say one more thing, the posture and the practice is what allows us to hold this truth that's bigger than any point of view that we can have. So thanks for your attention, and if you have any questions, please come forth.
I'm not sure if it was in the Chronicle or on the website that I read that when they were asking the, the staff there at Tassahara about the fire, that they said they, it was not their intention to fight the fire, that they were intending to meet the fire. And I was so touched by that. I, I just wondered if you had any further comments about that. That's our practice. Yeah. Fighting the fire means we set ourselves up against the fire. It means the fire is our enemy. Fire is a pretty big enemy. Yeah, it's element. You can't have an element as an enemy because we're made of fire. So to meet the fire on the fire's own terms. But, you know, we did have a little bit of help. Outside of Tassahara, um, I don't know who else was involved in it, maybe even people in this room, but I was part of an enormous telephone campaign in which we were calling senators, representatives, and anyone who would listen to try to get help for Tassahara. And they were able to make an air dump of water at the time, which gently encouraged the fire to go to, the, go to one door rather than the other door. Um, it gently encouraged the fire to move on so that it didn't take deep hold and burn all the trees down to the ground, but rather flashed through and was gone. And I'm so glad that happened. I'm so glad that um, the day bef- that maybe yesterday, no, Friday morning, um, Diane Feinstein, Senator Diane Feinstein, met with Governor Schwarzenegger and representatives from the Department of the Interior and um, Homeland Security and I think maybe FEMA, I'm not sure. And they decided to, to send 20 extra um, helicopters and 80 extra fire trucks to meet the fire. You know, if we think that we're fighting the fire, we will tire ourselves out. If we think that we're meeting the fire and meeting everything that comes, then whatever comes is part of our life, and that's the way. That's our practice. So thank you for asking that. Yeah. Mike? Yes, uh, he asked whether we knew whether the possibility of landslides would affect the facility. Well, there's so many ways in which it's already been affected. But after the 77 fire, the Los Padres fire, which was very similar, um, there was huge erosion, not just in Tassajara Valley, but in every one of the affected hillsides. And the creek rose very high and flooded Tassajara. And uh, water was pouring out of the hillsides. I was there. It was raging with mud and boulders chugging down the creek, you know, like steamrollers. And big gaps were torn out of the road. 
So first there was fire and then there was water and air. You know, so it was a real um, introduction to nature. And I think that um, unless we take measures, and even if we do, we'll be having that again. There are so many ways in which this has affected us, but also the whole forest, as David said, the forest. This fire has burned, this complex of fires has burned 846,000 acres in the state of California, making this month the largest wildfire that in the history of the state since um, since recorded history was part of the state. And even the um, people who have oral history from before the written history don't remember a fire like this. Yeah. And you can check the Esalen blog. Uh, there's a, a, the um, Esalen tribe has a blog and they're pretty good about posting things. Yeah. Yes. Right. <laughs> Should we use the other one? Is this? Oh. Wow. Well, I don't have my glasses on, so. Okay, so. No, that one's no. Okay, we got one it's the mic game. It's the now I don't have anything to say. I just think it was just, um, it just, the whole thing of meeting the fire um, is a conscious way of, of going about it because uh, you're almost like Aikido or, or Judo, you know, you, you, you learn to use the opponent's weight and inertia and, and that's how you sort of dance with it and that's mm-hmm. what it kind of brought up. Yeah. It's a beautiful way of looking at it. And it's like uh, in the posture. You, um, you don't just sling yourself on a cushion. You meet earth. Earth meets earth. Actually, somebody asked one of the, um, one of the uh, Tassajara people, why did, a reporter asked one of the Tassajara people, how did you end up at Tassajara? And he said, the fire boy comes seeking fire. <laughs> Didn't make it into the paper. <laughs> but that's our, that's our practice. Our practice is, um, Sherry Huber once said, that which you are seeking is causing you to seek. You know, we have this practice of putting the palms together. Um, this palm meets this palm and this palm meets this palm it's kind of like marriage Um, two become one and neither one nor two okay this not this 
that's that's our that's our practice. Those when things that we usually think of as different actually meet um, and are felt to meet, then suddenly intimacy, great intimacy, arises. And it doesn't have to have a lot of fancy names. So one of our most wonderful and sacred texts is called the Tenzo Kyokun, which is the instructions for the chief cook, which has statements in it like, um, don't jump for joy when you get good ingredients. Don't be down in the dumps when you get poor ingredients. Just make food wholeheartedly. Balancing the six flavors is an offering to the Sangha. Okay? And I think everything that we do is like this. And it's nine o'clock. So it's time for all good <laughs> insight meditators to get horizontal <laughs> instead of vertical. <laughs> okay? So... Uh, Maybe not such an overtly Buddhist lecture, but thank you so much for your attention.